I trust that is the cry of your heart this morning. Would you give me Christ or else I die? I trust that's what's motivating and moving you. If you'll turn to Revelation chapter 21, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 7 this morning. Revelation 21, 1 through 7. Verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no longer any death, there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he sits on the throne saying, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes shall inherit these things. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. As I have been working to prepare for today, I have been reminded of the immensity of a book like Revelation. It is not just a book of prophetic text, which it certainly is, but it is John being taken in a vision by an angel to see things that I believe are very present and real things in his moment and in our moment. And so there are some interesting dynamics. I've been reminded of the hesitations, if you will, that I've had through the years of really getting too deep into Revelation because there is so much there that is challenging. Now, you may not be asking this, but I'm going to ask this question for you. So, Tommy... Why did you choose Revelation? And really the answer is very simple. Because I recognize that what we need in this world with the challenges we face is to be reminded that this is not our home and that there is a beautiful bounty of blessing in the presence of our Savior Jesus Christ for all eternity that awaits for all who are in Christ. That's what's waiting for us. We need to be reminded of these kinds of things. Because as we know, the world has moved in a unique way, as we have seen really in the last couple of years, uh, that the, if you will, the dark forces, the, the evil men who would set themselves up as kings, we see the satanic move across our country and across our world and we can be anxious about those type of things. And we know that the, 
the darkness is stepping more, if you will, into the light, and I don't mean that in a spiritual sense, but is becoming, taking itself out of the shadows and it's pressing itself upon the church. Believer, let me be clear here, as much as there is a political sense of what we battle within our culture and our society, as we look at countries and people and states fighting one another, this is not a political battle that we are looking at. This is a spiritual battle. We need to understand and be mindful of these type of things. But these things are not happening. I believe as Pastor reminded us a few weeks ago, what we're seeing here is this is not the, the train jumping the tracks and we're just hanging on until the end comes. This is part of God's sovereign plan as He allows and enables, if you will, the dark forces of the world, evil men, to accomplish those things that will bring all things into the culmination of the return of Christ and eternity in heaven. We're still, as I like to remind people, where we see the, the fall of Adam and Eve. God did not have to resort to plan B in the process. He was not caught off guard, surprised, or confused, and he's got to figure this out. We're still with the only plan that has ever been. That's a sovereign God who has his hand upon this world and upon this creation. In fact, as much as we may feel the weight of the imposing darkness that is upon us, we have beautiful reminders of the hope that sets before us. John 16, Jesus reminds us, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. In 1 Peter 3, 14 and 15, but even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the what? For the hope that is in you. Yet with gentleness and reverence, we church have an eternal hope that the lost world does not have. We have something we can look to and we anticipate. Our destruction is not coming, church. But a lost world's destruction is coming. As we think about the longing for heaven and our hearts, and I want, to, I want to as much as anything today is stir your hearts to long for heaven today. The psalmist writes in, in Psalm 73, whom, I, whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. What a great positioning of thinking. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all of your good works. This nearness of God is our good. If you think about it in the negative, that means that if we are far from God, we are vulnerable. We are exposed. As a believer, draw close to God for those things that might seek to hurt us, wound us, and destroy us. We can abide under the shelter 
of the arm of God and find refuge there in those moments. Now, as I think about where we are as the church, as, as the collective church across this world, I am concerned that our church is not in a good place. I'm concerned that our church has lost its, its focus, it's lost its hope, it's lost its sense of holy living. I fear that today's church has lost its sense of heaven, looking that direction. And this is a question I would ask you. As much as I know you and have had conversations and have enjoyed the gospel-centered heartbeat that stirs within this church, let us not assume the gospel amongst any one of us. Let us continue to place the gospel before us. Let us continue to examine the heartbeat that we work with each and every day. Do we, Calvary Bible Church, have a longing for heaven? And if not, why? And we can ask that question on a collective sense, but, we can, uh, but I'm asking that individually for you. If you do not have a longing for heaven, why do you not have a longing for heaven? What is stymieing that? Where have we lost our focus? It seems to me that the church at large today desires to lay up treasures here on earth instead of in heaven. It seems that the church at large desires weak, watered-down words from its pulpit instead of a God-inspired, God-filled, Holy Spirit-releasing man who's willing to exposit the Word of God and let the Spirit move. We are blessed to have pastor here who willingly and faithfully opens up the word to us each and every Sunday. Don't take that for granted. That is not happening in pulpits everywhere across this world and across this country specifically. It is no one. Oh, one other point is that the church at large, I believe, does not anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. It's not looking for it. And so when that eastern sky splits and Christ steps out of the sky, many in the church are going to be surprised. Don't be surprised. He is coming back. And it makes me think here of Matthew 24, 37 through 39. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the day in the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood they were eating, and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of the Man. Again, let us not be surprised at the return of Christ. That is going to happen. He will return. See, remember, church, what we truly long for, what we, what we truly know and hunger for is not here. You, you do understand that the things that really stir our hearts and that we really clamor for is not here. Our Heavenly Father is there. Our Savior is there. Our Comforter is there. Fellow believers are there. Our treasures are laid up there. Our name is there. Our inheritance is there. Our home is there. Our citizenship is there. Our reward is there. That's What's waiting for us, there's that culmination, that's what's in front of us, church. What we have of true value is not here, but there. 
And so I trust that this will be the song of your heart and your heart will beat with these realities more and more every day as you feel the weight of the world pressing upon you. May it not crush you, but may it draw your eyes upward and long for those days to come. My outline for us for today is we've got to look at a new heaven and a new earth. Tabernacle with God and God on his throne. There is so much here to talk about the book of Revelation. I will just be as succinct as I can on a few key points so that we're maintaining some sense of understanding. We see that this is a book written by John. He is taken up in the spirit by an angel and he's been given opportunity to see things that in this realm have yet to come. But I believe in the heavenly realm, have already occurred, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, meaning heaven and earth, the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem already exist now. And I'll I'll make that case here in a few minutes. It was uh, a book that seems to be, most think, around written around 95 A.D., which would put it really at the end to be the last a document that would be written so it sits appropriately within scripture it was the final revealing of jesus christ sometimes and i've been guilty of this before it's not revelations but it is revelation it is the one revelation of jesus christ dr john macarthur reminds us that the nature of this book is that it is a revelation this is the key to everything that follows Within this book are truths that have been concealed and are now revealed. There are truths in the book of Revelation that were carried on the back of symbols, carried on the back of figures of speech in the Old Testament. There are truths in the book of Revelation that were veiled in prophetic language in the Old Testament. And now we're beginning to see some of those. So let's look at verse 1 here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there was no longer any sea. First of all, John is saying he saw. Now, what I believe were a couple of things to keep in mind. John has been taken up in the spirit. And while there is a reality for him to see, he is going into another realm. He is going into the heavenly realm, meaning we as people There is no direction we can go or distance we can travel to get to heaven. It is in another realm. And John has been taken to that realm. And so what we should recognize here is when John says, I saw, there's a spiritual revelation that is occurring. He is being enabled to see things that he would not naturally be able to see with his own physical eyes. There is that unique shift in capacity. And it reminds me as I think about this, that as we as believers, to our own degree, while we have not seen what John has seen, we understand scripture as more than just the structure of the words, the content of the sentences, the way the paragraphs form, that there are deeper spiritual revelations within the scripture that we understand because... The Holy Spirit reveals them to us. 
The Holy Spirit enables us to see things that those who do not have the Holy Spirit in their lives cannot comprehend. It's worth reminding ourselves that as you engage with lost people, it may be easy to be frustrated and say, I don't know why they don't get it. But you should know why they don't get it. Because they don't have the spiritual revelation of the Holy Spirit enabling them to see things. <clears throat> and so I think about a couple of things. Satan blinds the people of this world. 1 Corinthians 2.14 A person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness. And you may have had conversations along this very line and cannot understand them because they are <clears throat> discerned through the Spirit. Let me hydrate for a moment here. I'm always thankful that I don't choke on water because I have a reputation for choking on water. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4. <clears throat> if the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe but are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. Again, you sit in here as believers this morning, not because you have figured something out. It's because the Holy Spirit has filled your life, given you new life, given you understanding, regeneration, and you now have capacities that you didn't possess before, but it's not something you discovered yourself. Now this new heaven and new earth that John refers to, the word heaven is Uranus, uh, which is where the planet gets its name, the Greek word. When we think about heaven, we really can think about heaven as in three ways. First of all, we think of heaven as the the atmosphere that surrounds the earth, the air that we breathe, the clouds we see in the sky. The second level of heaven would be as we look into the universe, as we see the place, the abode of the sun, the moon, the stars. Now, we don't know the reaches of the universe, and we don't know that the universe isn't continuing to expand in some capacity. And if it is expanding, what is it expanding into? Those become things that are beyond our scope, but we see those realities. That's still part of physical reality. It's still part of the creation. But when we look at what's being referred to here with this heaven is the dwelling place of God and of angels and of the redeemed, the saints that have gone on before us. And so we begin to look at what's being referred to here as another realm. With respect to the word heaven here, this is just a simple whether it be in the, the new, new earth or the current earth, it's just simply the earth that we sit upon at this very moment. It's that same idea. Now, there are going to be some differences that we won't be able to get into this morning, but there are going to be some differences between this earth and that earth. I guess if I could digress for a moment, because I enjoy flood geology and creation, this world has been judged by a global flood and it bears the scars of that that world will not bear any scars for it is perfect 
the new heaven and the new earth in that the new heaven is the abode of the new earth and the new earth is the abode of the new Jerusalem and the new Jerusalem is the abode of Christ as he sits upon his throne. As we look at this new earth, it's physically real. Uh, John here in verse 1 says there's no more sea, which seems to indicate, as I've read a few people, is that seems to indicate that the new earth will not be a water-based existence. We here on this earth need to drink water. Most of our physical bodies are made up of water. Plants are made up of water. We recognize the importance of water here. But what is going to sustain us physically in the new earth is not going to be water. Now, that doesn't mean there will be no water in the new earth. For we read in verse 1 of chapter 22 is that there will be a river of life flowing from the throne of God. And so what's going to sustain us physically is not going to be water, but God himself. And so there's going to be those distinctions of which I can't give you the particulars. I just know they exist and I see that distinction in Scripture, but it's hard to describe that which Scripture doesn't give us a lot of depth on. We will have God and man dwelling face to face. No sun or moon will exist. So where will the light come from? The light will come from the glory of God as it fills all of heaven and there will be no more night that we will have. And, and so I read into that there will be no more time. Is that time will cease, that we will exist perfectly, completely in heaven in the presence of our Savior at all times. And there will be no night to come along. Now, he goes on here in the second part of this first verse and talks about the current heaven and earth will pass away and go out of existence. I'd like to try to unpack some of that by walking through a sequential flow of what I see from the beginning of this creation to, the, to what John is seeing here. First of all, the first heaven and the first earth in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so what we see is a transcendent creator speaking that which did not exist into existence. We see him bringing a universe into existence. And then he begins to fill this universe. And the first thing he fills this universe with is an earth, this earth. And so we have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit working together to bring this to be. Number two is the cursed heaven and earth. As we look at Genesis 3.17, as we see the sin of Adam and Eve, and as a result of that sin, Eve will bear the weight of pain in childbirth, She'll have a desire for her husband, which I believe is the dysfunction, the basis of what we see in feminism today. As we see the basis of a shift that the women desire headship. But for the man, his toil will be working the ground. And so as we see here, cursed is the ground because of you. And so this is what God does at the fall as he curses the serpent and then he curses the ground. And so this ground that we abide on today 
has been judged and cursed and it will not be renewed. It will go away. What we sit on today will one day go away completely and we'll get to enjoy a new earth. Jesus goes to prepare heaven. As we begin to think about what John is seeing here, I believe he is seeing the realities of heaven and earth existing. But Jesus tells the disciples in John 14, 3, in my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. And what I see here is at Jesus, what Jesus is telling the disciples is I'm going to go and prepare the new heaven and the new earth for you. Then we come to Acts 1-9 and we see Jesus departing after he had said these things he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight and so Jesus physical body has left this world and I believe he has gone to create to bring the new heaven and new earth into existence now one of the challenges that for me is I'm very sequential and linear in my thinking and this creation where we exist is impacted by the flow of time. For those of us who are getting older, not all of you, but some of us are getting older, we feel that weight. But the new heaven and the new earth, as I mentioned, I, I don't see time factoring there. And so, so we've got an interesting dynamic of what time does to restrain or an impact of this temporal world, and yet it does not play any part in the eternal heavenly realm that's before us. But nonetheless, from our point of view, Jesus has departed and gone to prepare this new place. So when we come to Revelation 1-3, John begins to talk about what is to come. God gave him to show to his bondservants the thing which, which must pl take place, which soon take place. Blessed is he who heeds the things that are written in it, for the time is near. And so God has chosen to bring John in the Spirit and to show John things that he would in turn write down so that we would have moments like today to be able to be encouraged by what's in front of us. And so John is anticipating this and begins to record what we are going to be going through. Now, what becomes interesting here is Peter also gets some insights into the last days of this world. And so what Peter sees by revelation and what John sees in the spirit aren't, aren't simply just perfect overlaps of one another, but different aspects of the same event that's going on. Peter in 2 Peter 3 says, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and the destruction of un ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. The heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. As we see what's occurring here is 
this word elements here is taken from the Greek word stokeia. It's uh, first things or elementary principles. Ultimately, what we're seeing in this fire, uh, this, this consummation of intense heat, is an atomic holocaust. As I have shared before, what I see happening here is when you think about everything we have in this creation is basically atomic particles. And while they have different uh, structures to them, they're all atomic particles. And they're held together, I believe, by God. And so this pulpit, us, our air, all of this is consisted with these atomic particles held together by God. And I used to think that what God was doing with this fire is he was going to, if you will, send a, a divine fireball to this world to destroy the world. But that's not what I see anymore here. What I see here is God is simply going to release his power, his sustaining hand upon every atomic particle in the universe simultaneously. And it's my understanding that the hydrogen bomb is basically a splitting of an atom and so there is once that splitting occurs there is a repulsion within that and there will be some form of explosion but if every atomic particle explodes simultaneously we don't have ways to describe what that is going to be like nothing will survive it God will, what he created in bringing the atomic particles to, together to bring creation into existence, he will uncreate creation. And I think this is what Peter is alluding to, is he is seeing the end of this realm. But Peter doesn't get to see the new heaven and the new earth. Peter is just simply knows that that is what is coming. That is what is next. That's part of of the journey that Peter is articulating for his people that he is writing to. But as we see here in what we're covering with John's work here in Revelation 21, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away and there is no longer any sea. John is seeing the other side of that event where the culmination of all things has been brought together. God has allowed John in the spirit to come and see, get a glimpse of this new heaven and new earth. Now, we're not going to go through the balance of, chapter, of this chapter or into chapter 22. I would encourage you to take time to read it because there is really some intriguing and beautiful descriptions of what is there. But it is clearly a place of beauty. I believe it's clearly a place of physical reality. It is clearly a place that we will enjoy for all eternity. And so Peter sees the end of the current creation. John sees the reality or the existence of the new creation. Now let me just pause this just for a moment or take a little bit of an off-ramp. As we have seen with the virus and the pandemic and the shutdown that we have experienced over the past couple of years, while I have no doubt the legitimacy of the virus and its impact, and many of us in this congregation have been impacted by it, and so I don't minimize that whatsoever. But I would remind us that 
part of this virus and part of this shutdown has to do with a sense of control and power as well. And so what I am seeing and anticipate what is going to be the next thing for us is to preserve the planet. Climate change, global warming, that we as humans are an infestation upon this planet. And that there is going to be some push to control us as people to mitigate the negative impact upon the planet. And when you think about it, we as believers are talking this morning about what? About a new heaven and a new earth, right? But if you're lost, your next stop, this is your best life now. You know it? It really is. And so philosophically, you're going to do everything you can to preserve this. And also, if you're rebellious against God, you're going to do everything you can to become king of this place. And so this is the next battlefront. And so I encourage you to be mindful of that. Just listen to it. You'll just pick it up in subtle little tidbits. This reminds me of going back to the Tower of Babel. Genesis chapter 9, the ark has landed. Noah and his family have come off the ark. And God gives Noah and his family the mandate to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. And like compliant people, they did. No, they really didn't do that, did they? They went and built a tower, built a city. They hunkered down. Why? They were being defiant towards God, and they had just come off the flood. And I guarantee you, at some point, they're thinking, he's not doing that to us again. We're going to show him we're going to be strong next time. And philosophically, that's what's swirling again today. We are philosophically, as a lost planet, returning to Babel. And that is part of the heartbeat that's there. Dr. John MacArthur in a sermon just recently says, with respect to the power, power has always been that which maddens people to do the most damage of anything that exists in human ambition. Power is a brutal master. It comes down to power and control, changing the world to fit them. This is a collective group, some known and some unknown, and they have done something that has never been done in human history. They have made this global. Virus, shutdowns. That in of itself is very interesting because we are now, now we are a global world, and that is the setup we've been waiting for through redemptive history since the Lord promised that there would come in the future an antichrist who would have a global government. This is the first time in my lifetime that we literally have such power over people that we can shut them down globally. You know, we, you might, I would have said three years ago, I'd have thought, boy, that's, that's probably still a little bit down the road. I don't say that today. I see that as a very imminent reality that's before us. Now, it's part of why I'm, 
doing this text for you this morning is we don't need to be stressed about that. We don't need to be worried about that. This was never going to be our home anyway. We have a new home waiting for us in, in eternity. Now, point number two, Revelation 21, 3 and 4. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them, and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. This is what we're waiting for, church, right here. The tabernacle with our maker. The idea of tabernacle is interesting. It's, uh, if we think of the Old Testament tabernacle in the wilderness where the Holy of Holies was placed, that dwelt with Moses and the Israelite nation. Uh, I know pastors mention this from time to time, and I appreciate the way he articulates this. But the word tabernacle itself is closely linked to the word Shekinah, which is talking about the glory of God. And so when you, we're, we're looking at here in, in heaven is to be fully in the presence of the glory of God. It was a thing that you remember Moses longed for as he had those opportunities to have some level of exposure to God and God, and he wanted to see God, and God said, I'm going to put my hand over you as you stand in the crevice of a mountain, and I'll let you see my back. But he longed for that. You think about when you have had those moments in life, whether you've been just simply in the Word or in prayer, and you've had those sweet, special moments, and you long for them to happen again, and they go away all too quickly, don't they? And yet we look for them and we long for them to be part of our lives daily, moment by moment. In Exodus 25.8, it says, And let them make a, me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. As we long for that, God allowed the Israelite nation to have a glimpse of the glory of God as we think about how the the tabernacle was situated in the midst of the 12 nations. There was a particular orientation and they would get to see the glory of God emanating from the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle. As we look into the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17, do you not know that you are a temple of God? You, you do know that, right? You are a temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells in you. And if any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. And so, the, so we have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us. But we still, even in that, aren't really fully experiencing the glory of God, are we? Because this is a house of flesh. It's a sinful being we recognize, reminded of 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul reminds us is that we see through a glass dimly, but when those, that day comes, we'll see fully. So even in this state with the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of us as believers, 
we don't fully have that exposure to God as we will here in heaven. I've been full this week as I've been thinking about this, and the Lord has stirred my heart. It's really been intriguing to think about what is it going to be like to fully be in the presence of the glory of God. I'll be honest with you, there's part of me that really has been excited and longing for that, impressing that. And there's another part of me that's been a little tentative. And I think part of the tentativeness comes as I recognize that I dwell in this body of flesh that cannot inherit eternity. So I recognize in the state that I now abide in, I cannot go into the presence of God like that. Now, he's made a way, and we have a new body coming. And I'm looking forward to that, a glorified body. But to even consider that in this state is beyond what I could handle, beyond what any of us could handle. Verse 4 continues with the no mores. No mores. No more tears. Let me say this before I get into these. John is stating in the, if you will, in the negative, something that we really can't comprehend in the positive. And sometimes it's more concise to say something in the negative, what you will not have anymore. John is certainly reminding us is that there is a shift that we are going to experience that what we have here in this world will no more be in that world. Perfect and eternal bliss, joy that's before us. As John works through these, no mores, no more tears, no more sadness, no more death. This no more death struck me in two ways. One is certainly we feel the weight of those who have gone on before us and we miss them and we feel the grief of the loss. But really, I think there's something more here. Why does death exist in this world? Yeah, because of sin. And it is a judgment upon our sin. And death is going to be no more here. That means no more sin. Judgment has been paid and removed. And that will not be part of the new heaven and the new earth. No mourning, no grief. No more crying. I think about things in this. There's so much depression, anxiety, so many of us feel that's going to be gone. That is not going to be part of your life in the future. No more pain. When I first read this, I was thinking about the deep pain that we might feel within our hearts. But Dr. MacArthur reminded me and I remind you that Christ, when he hung on the cross, by his stripes, we are what? Healed. 
And so this is, there's a physical aspect to what this is going on here. We, what Christ did on the cross made a condition possible so that when we're in eternity in heaven, that there will be no more pain of any kind for us to experience. The first things have passed away, and now we embrace the new. Point number three, God on his throne. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. John is now turning his attention to the throne of God. And he hears, first of all, behold, I am making all things new. In the previous verses, we saw the no mores, the things that will be no more. But what we see here is Jesus telling John, I am making all things new. That means that what I see here is Jesus recognizes that while John is seeing things of a new heaven and a new earth, John is not able to experience them in reality because John is still a living human being in this world at this time. And so it's a word kind of, John, when you take back, when you go back into flesh and you begin to write these things down in preparation to give out to the church, I want you to remind the church that I am making all things new, that this is the direction we're going. To not lose hope, to not lose heart, to not give up, to persevere to the end because there is a hope that is before you. I am making all things new. Anticipate that. Look for that. Long for that. Pursue that in front of you. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house that is not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so this is, this is the exhortation for us here is to know that there is a transition coming and to push forward and to push through here in the hope of what's before us in Christ. Walk in the future reality. Now he also mentions here in verse 6, it is done. And it's interesting here, there's almost an echo from the cross that I hear. You begin to think about what Jesus is saying here is it is done. But when we think back to what happens in, on the cross is Jesus says what? It is finished. To telestai. All things have been completed. And so what I see happening there is what Jesus is saying is the demands of God's wrath upon fallen humanity have been satisfied. And he is the propitiation. He is the substitute for that. So when God's wrath is to be poured out, it will not be poured out upon those whom Christ is called and redeemed and saved. And we need to be reminded of that. We need to stand in that reality. 
So what is Jesus referring to here with it is done? Well, basically what he's signifying is the end of redemptive history. Now, I like what is what John puts next right here. After it is done, he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. What Jesus is declaring is, when I say it is done, I have the authority to say it is done. I am the beginning. I'm the one who started creation, and I'm the one who will end creation. I'm the one who brought the new heavens and the new earth into existence. And I have the authority and the power to declare the beginning from the end. And so when I say it is done, there's not another authority I am going to seek, need to seek, or have to seek. If you will, the buck starts, stops with Jesus Christ. Who will be in heaven? Well, John does a couple of things here. First of all, in verses 6 and 7, he says, I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. There are two, two, two identifiers here. First of all is the one who thirsts. I believe it's Psalm 42 talks about the deer pants and longs for the water. And just in that same way, our souls long for God. And so the first indicator of those who are going to be in eternity is for those who thirst. Do you thirst? Do you long to be in Christ's presence? Is that the stirring of your heart and your soul? And secondly, is the one who overcomes, the one who perseveres to the end. You know, as we think about, it, it sometimes can be easy for us as believers to say, this isn't my home, I'm going to heaven. Just hold on and we'll get there. But you know, that's really not what we've been called to do, is it? We've been called to be good stewards of the gifts we've been given. We've been called to share our talents with the church and the world. We've been called to bring fellowship and love to one another. We've been called to be a light in a dark world. We have much work to do here. And so let us persevere with the goal of eternity and heaven in mind, but let us be about the work that the Father has left us to do. Let us be faithful in those tasks. If you don't know what those tasks are, then, can, then let's talk. Uh, get in the Bible, get in the Word. Be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, but be about those tasks that are before you. As we look here at the balance of this verse, we see that that I will be his God and he will be my son. I'd look 
at, I got to spend yesterday with my youngest grandson. He's wrestling now. He's six. Red hair. It matches personality. And what a joy it is to be able to look back at your children and grandchildren now and see a little bit of yourself. But even as a grandfather, I long to provide shepherding. I long to provide protection. I long to provide love. Because they're of me. And I long for that. And I, and I feel that. This is what we are with Jesus. You know it? He loves you. He wants to care for you. He wants to shepherd you. He wants to walk you through each and every day, through each and every step of life. He knows you. When you hurt, he's mindful of it. And to be able to, to know that there's a full embrace that is before us in heaven stirs my heart. Because I get a glimpse with my little red-headed grandson of what, that, what I feel there. And yet, Jesus, is, Jesus accomplishes that relationship perfectly. He sees me, who I am, and who I will become. And he hungers and longs for that relationship as well. John 17, 24 says, and this is Jesus speaking, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Did you catch that? The ones you've given me I want them to be with me. And where Christ is, is in heaven. And he's going to bring us to that place. And he's coming back for us. When I think about what to do and kind of a final encouragement with respect to journeying through this next phase of life until Christ returns or he takes us home uh, in death, I'm reminded of 1 Peter 4. The end of all things is near. Therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint as each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Take care of one another long for one another, hunger after these relationships that we enjoy. There will be tougher days ahead, but we will walk through them together with our eyes focused on heaven. Father, I thank you so much for the opportunity that we've had here to open up your word, to hear the truths of scripture. We thank you for you calling John in spirit to see these things and have him record these things so that we might be able to 
get a sense and a glimpse of them and be encouraged by them here today. I thank you for the way your spirit has moved and continues to move within this fellowship. May we continue to be a light in this world. We do ask for protection from the evil one. We ask for wisdom as we journey. Thank you for blessing us, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. We pray you've been edified by this presentation. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Calvary Bible Church in Jolton, Tennessee. For more information on Calvary Bible Church or for more audio, please visit our website at cbctn.org.